all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and my guest today is Dr. Amy Forsyth, who is a pediatric hematology and oncology nurse practitioner. She's got over 18 years' experience working with children with cancers and blood disorders, and 12 of those years have been as a nurse practitioner at the UMMC Children's Cancer Clinic. She did just recently move to Louisiana, and so she is joining us by phone today. If you want to join in our conversation, give us a call at one 877 mpb ring That's one 672 or you can send us an email at fit at mpbonline.com. Org. Good morning, Amy. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank good. You. It is a nasty kind of rainy day here in Jackson. What's going on in Louisiana today? The same. We've had good weather for a while after all the hurricanes went through, but um, yeah, it's raining today. Yeah, it's, an, it's a nasty day. It's one of those days you just want to get in bed and pull the covers back up over your head, but I'm glad you're able to join us today. Now, I know when, you know, I've been a pediatric nurse for a long time, and when Whenever I tell somebody what I do, they always say, well, I just could never do that. It's just too hard to see sick kids and take care of sick kids. I personally think kids are the absolute greatest group of people to care for. They teach you so much about life and and overcoming adversity and just plain old grit and determination. I just love them. Um, But I can imagine you've gotten the same kind of uh, questions about your choice of of career working with kids with cancer. Tell me a little bit about why you uh, picked that as a career focus. Yeah, you're right. Every time someone (laughs) hears what I do, you get the, oh. Right, oh, why would you do that? Yeah. (laughs) And and actually, to to be quite honest, when I first went into nursing school, I did not want to do pediatrics for all those reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the one thing I was like, yeah, I just, I'm going to take care of adults who, you know, will take their medicines without complaining, who won't cry when I walk into their room because they're scared of me. And, um, and of course, you know, it's a sick child, you know, um, everyone I think just has a weak heart for sick child. And so I had no plans whatsoever to go into pediatrics, but in nursing school, um, we did our clinical at a, it wasn't at the children's hospital. So obviously it was, um, a hospital that didn't have quite as many pediatric patients. And we had the two day rotation on the unit. And I think there were four whole patients. Those two days. <laughs> so we were splitting them and, and, you know, one day we were doing a lot of studying, but I was assigned to a little boy. And to this day, I cannot remember what his exact diagnosis was. I just remember, you know, having to learn about it and explain it you know, to, to my um, my other classmates that it was a pre-leukemia. So he, my guess is, is, is it was either aplastic anemia, anemia or myelodysplastic syndrome, but I don't remember. 
Um, but he had a Broviac, which is um, at the time, a lot of them use chemoports now, but back then they were um, mostly using Broviacs where you would put the chemotherapy in. And instead of, you know, being hidden under the skin, it's just a long tube that um, is bandaged. It goes directly into their skin, but it's bandaged up to stay, and the tube just kind of hangs yeah, out just there kinda, all the time. Yeah, just a little tail so hanging out. A, yeah, which can be a pain. Yeah, it can. Hurt, you know, a little boy but uh, who would like to run around. Um, and so here I was. This was my assignment. Is I was petrified to go into the room, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he was there, and I think his grandmother was staying with him, and he turned my life around he was fun and happy and um didn't complain about anything medicines no problem we colored and i think i was so struck by the strength of that little boy sitting in that bed and um realizing how wrong i was and um I just fell in love right there. And, you know, everyone wanted to hear about him. And, and I was like, you know, it was wonderful. It, it was such an experience for me and um, really made me realize how important, you know, clinical rotations were for, right. for nursing students and, um, you know, how much, you know, that one patient can, can lead them into what, you know, they're meant to be right, doing yeah. for the rest of their life. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I tell our students all the time is even if you don't think you're going to like something, just go ahead and just go into it with an open mind. Be open to the experience, learning something. And you never know when really your calling and your destiny is going to meet you in an exam room or in a hospital room and really point you where you're supposed to be in life. You know, I started out as an adult in the adult ER um, as a student thinking that's what I was going to do uh, with my life. And just like you, I fell absolutely in love with these little tiny humans who just embrace every single day with joy, regardless of what their diagnosis is. Now, I'm not going to say it's all sunshine and rainbows and bunny rabbits because kids get cranky, too. Um, but, you know, they, they move pretty quickly from being cranky and in a bad mood to wanting to do something else with you, wanting to play with you or play a game or draw something. You know, they really embrace life no matter what their, their diagnosis is. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the fact that I can, you know, give them a shot and they're crying and then afterwards turn around and they will hug me. Yes. You know, I meant, but, you know, that's what every day is like. Right. You know, every day is, yeah, like you said, there, there are the bad days. There are the horrible days. But most of the days are just fun and yeah. full of laughter and happiness and to watch these kids walk into the clinic in their costumes or you know they're walking in with their you know footed pajamas on and the mom's like I just couldn't get them out of their clothes and I was like I'm, you know I love that I love oh, that yeah. they're just being them you know I wish I could wear footy pajamas and get away with it <laughs> I know like I have more and, and you know I'd sometimes act like a little kid myself and I'm, I, was, I very much like to race them down the hall and um, you know so many times when I was having a stressful day it was that patient or even that mama who turned my day around right so. right so you know I know that our listeners can hear the love that 
in your voice for the children that are going through cancer and chemotherapy. And so if you guys want to talk with Amy or myself today, please give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So Amy, let's talk about the different types of cancers that affect children, because it, it is different from what we usually experience when we think about adult onset type of cancers. A lot of adult onset cancers um, may be related to um, you know, smoking, things like that, but not always. But our childhood cancers are, are somewhat different. What are some of those types of cancers that are affecting children? Um, well, yes, they can have pretty much all areas affected, like adults too, but um, and some of them May that may be the same. So leukemia, adults and children get leukemia, right. obviously. But the the one that has the best prognosis in children has a worse prognosis in adults, and vice versa. Um, so the most common cancer in in children in the United States is leukemia, and uh, there's there's three types. But the the main one that that's 85% of the leukemias is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And um, luckily, it's got a very, very good prognosis after years of uh, um, research. So the the most common pediatric cancer is also one of the um, best prognosis where it comes to cancer is the best Um, outcome. Yes, best best outcome, long term survival. And um, and then you have the 15% of acute myelogenous leukemia, or AML, which is better in adults. It's more easily treated in adults. It's harder to treat in children, um, but obviously, you know, if we can get it under control and get it done, hopefully, you know, it doesn't recur. And we definitely, you know, have bone marrow transplants, and AML is definitely survivable and and um, many children do fine, but it's just not in that 90 percentile range like right. the um, ALL. And then you have the chronic leukemia as well, but it's only 1 to 2 percent in children, whereas it's much higher in adults. And um, it's treated kind of differently. Um, and you could actually usually just take after your initial uh, chemotherapy can take a pill a day to help with that. So leukemia is the number one. The number two is um uh, brain tumors and i know that's really high in adults as well but um it it's uh the second largest and the the most common solid tumor and um it can occur in in all areas but and and we don't have as good of survival rates from treatment in brain tumors although there is really a lot going on in research right now at different kind of drugs and targeted therapies um, but when you're dealing with the brain and a growing child, it's, you know, you have to be very careful. So um, it's a lot of times it's dependent on where the tumor is. And sometimes the tumor's not, like a lot of times, luckily, um, a surgeon can remove it. And if they can remove the whole thing, that may be it. Right. Depending on the type of the type of cancer that it is and the location of it in the brain. So we've got leukemias. And so you mentioned solid tumor when we were talking about brain. So leukemias are more blood 
blood cancers. And then solid tumors are the ones we think about when you have an actual mass or a tumor present in the area. So there are some other ones that are a little bit more specific to to children, Children. like Wilms tumor. Um, So talk to me about Wilms tumor a little bit, because I've seen a couple of cases of that. um, And it's really uh, probably not well known by a lot of folks. It, it probably isn't, and it's actually luckily one of those other high, high, um, pro, you know, very good prognosis. It's Wilms tumors. So Wilms tumor is a tumor of the kidney, and many times you won't even know that they have it, and most of the times it is found by a provider or a mama. Either they've gone in for a checkup and the, and the doctor or the nurse practitioner is feeling on their belly and they feel a mass, or the mama's is changing their diaper and says something is hard in their stomach. There's a very, there's a small percent that will have blood in their urine, but usually um, it's just a mass that, that, that they feel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we remove the, the tumor and, um, and that's another one that depending on what stage it is, they may or may not even need chemotherapy. It may just and, be removal um, of the tumor. It may just be removal of the tumor. Um, depends on, Genetics. There's so many things now that we can actually stage, you know, different cancers and and actually um, know whether to give them harsher treatments or if we can back off. And um, so Wilms tumor is definitely one of those. They can go from just surgery to chemotherapy and radiation um, as well. Uh, neuroblastoma is also one of those um, cancers that we see. Luckily, it's very. Um, I would say it's very uncommon. They're actually, it's probably a lot more common in tiny babies than we know. And they've actually found that um, if, if, they're of, if they're an infant and it's a small tumor, a lot of times it just regresses on its own. It just goes so away on not, hmm. Right. And so a lot, we may have a lot more babies who have it. But we, luckily, it just regresses and we never know. But those that are, are older, um, it's, it's of the of the nerves and it's usually in the pelvis although you can have it uh, in the neck as well and um and those are usually easier to treat probably because you see symptoms quicker right but um, most of them are, are in the belly and a lot sometimes they'll just be losing a lot of weight um a lot you know a lot of times that's what's happening is it's it's growing and, and they're acting completely fine if they're not complaining about any belly pain or anything that's another one that can take a while to um to, to kind of diagnose um and it does require surgery and most of them are going to require chemotherapy and stuff too once you're outside of that year age um it, it's it's a lot of them um, are hard are hard to find until you start having some symptoms and um, but one of them that is usually found in our teenagers usually 12 to 19 is osteosarcoma right. that's and actually if a, a 21 or 22 year old is diagnosed with osteosarcoma even though they're above that 18 age m- many times they'll be treated by the pediatric department because that's what we do and right. we know so much and more have, common right and and they have good results um hopefully and and that is a tumor of the bone usually you can have it outside but it's it's most common i mean outside into the tissue but it's most commonly of the bone a lot of times it's where it's at the growth plate Mm -hmm. and a lot of times they're found as 
um, athletes. Right, it's been their sports physical type stuff. Right, or if they're if they're complaining about pain a lot, you know, kids don't normally complain about pain. So right. if you have you know someone that's like my leg hurts, and it, it's harder sometimes when they're athletes because they're doing things that hurt themselves all the time. Right. So it may take a little longer for someone for somebody to say, okay, this is really gone on too long it should be healed let's go get an x-ray you know and then it may be found there yeah i'm glad you're bringing up some of the symptoms so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about some signs and symptoms that should prompt you to have your child seen by a health care provider if you've got a question or a comment give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. we'll be back after the break This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. We're talking childhood cancer and blood disorders today. And we have some open lines. You can give us a ring at one 672 7464 you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. My guest today is Dr. Amy Forsyth. She is a pediatric hematology and oncology nurse practitioner. And we've been talking about the most common types of cancers that affect children. We've been talking about leukemia uh, and brain tumors and then some of the lesser knowns like Wilms tumor and um, osteosarcoma. And we briefly got into some of the symptoms before we took a break and I want to pick back up and talk about that because Amy a lot of symptoms of childhood cancer can be pretty vague or can be caused by other health issues so we certainly don't want to have everyone run into the uh, healthcare provider thinking something's wrong but there are some red flags that should prompt someone to see a healthcare provider relatively quickly and get that taken care of what are some of those things out there that we can be looking for? Um, yes, you're right. Unfortunately, most of them come on really vaguely. And so it's going to be symptoms um, that cause you to go to the provider. And the one that's probably the easiest as far as um, recognizing are symptoms from brain tumors. Right. And um, especially if a child is having early morning headaches or vomiting, um, when they wake up in the morning, it's it can be from pressure that is built up in the brain. And as they go through the day, you know, all that fluid and everything's going back down. So they may start feeling better. But if they're waking up every morning with headaches or they're having vomiting in the morning, that's a red flag. Um, also, of course, any kind of slurred speech or um, if they're they're starting to have any weakness or if their eyes are, 
you know, not um, falling normally. Uh, all those could be signs of a brain tumor. Um, the other, like leukemia and things like that, that like I said, with the tumors are, are usually harder um, to determine. And, and that can be part of the frustration mm-hmm. uh, by parents and providers is a lot of times you'll, it's just little things like leukemia. A lot of times the child just got, you know, colds here and there, or um, they're just tired, you know, more than usual and just little things. And, and you'll look back a lot of times and say, yeah, well, we, you know, they'll be like, yes, well, we took them to the doctor here and here and here. And every other week we're going to the doctor and they were having these fevers and right. because they were having symptoms before uh, possibly if they did have a CBC, um, a, a blood count, mm-hmm. you may not have, they may not have even seen it in the blood count yet because it, you know, takes a while for all those bad cells that are um, being produced in the bone marrow to get out into the peripheral system so that when they get their fingers stuck, you know, you, you won't always know the first time right. you stick it that they have leukemia. So um, that's one of the things that I would, I guess, be concerned about is if this if they were sick all the time times, right yeah it, it, you know if this is three weeks and they're running fever off and on for no reason you know is um and it, and if they have and of course it's hard sometimes that they'll go to you know their primary physician and then they have a fever in the middle of the night so they take them to an er and they're seeing different people that cannot see the overall picture right and so they may not even get a blood count right. um, there's three different people. But if you're going to the same one, you know, they're going to say, oh, well, you know, two weeks and this fever's been going on. Let's check a blood count. Um, or, you know, the parent can ask for it. Say, look, this is concerning to me. Um, another thing is so we're, when we're talking about leukemia, obviously I'm talking about infection where the white cells aren't working well, you know, can cause that fatigue is the red cells not working well or being pushed out. And the other is platelets. So that can be um, an an early sign, too, is bleeding. Right. So if they um, have a bruise that just, I mean, uh, an injury, and it just won't stop bleeding, it just won't clot, or they've got a lot of little bruises all over, little petechiae, it can be other things. So I definitely don't want, you know, a mom to say, oh, my gosh, I, you know, my child has all these bruises. They must have leukemia. That is definitely right. not, you know, the case. Not the case because, you know, I'm a mom of boys and my kids' <laughs> legs look like I just smack them with a switch all the time because they just keep little bruises all up and down their legs. But what you're saying is, you know, leukemia is a blood uh, cancer. And really there are three main types of blood cells that we're talking about. There's those red blood cells, there's white blood cells, and there's platelets. And the red blood cells are what give us, uh, what help carry oxygen around, and so what gives us energy. The white blood cells are what fight our infections, and the platelets are what help us not bleed to death, make, you know, make clots and that kind of stuff. And so when leukemia is happening... There's an overproduction of cells, and it kind of crowds out everything else. And so you'll get not enough platelets. And so you may see that usually what I see is a bruise that's kind of out of it doesn't match the mechanism of injury if that makes sense so you know it was a a little bump but it turned into a a massive bruise uh, you know something that was much larger 
Right. Something that was just much larger than what you expected it to be. Um, and then, you know, just multiple ones. Every time they get bumped, you know, something makes a bruise there. Um, from the red blood cell perspective, then that's the fatigue that you're talking about where people, they're just not able to do as much as they could previously. Now, everybody gets tired from time to time, even kids, even though they you think your kid never gets tired because I swear mine just run. You know. well, and that's exactly when they get symptoms because even our children get in chemo. That's why it's so hard. And I kind of talked about infection because the platelets are going to have to be really, really low mm-hmm. before you see Start to bleed. Mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. And so and with children, even if they are tired, they're still running so much. So it's usually the infectious mm-hmm. portion that you're seeing with, with most of the cases in the children. Yeah. And, you know, infections in kids, you know, kids, they love to share their germs. And so, you know, most kids have, wind up having somewhere between 6 and 12 colds in a year. So it can be very difficult to separate that out. But just like you said, it's things that aren't going away, things that, you know, fevers that are hanging around for longer than expected. You know, most colds, you just run a fever for a day or two as a child. You don't, they don't hang around for days and days and days, or they don't reoccur week after week after week. So those are all some things that you would look for in that. And you mentioned the brain tumor type Type symptomatology with that, the early morning headaches, the vomiting, the slurred speech. Another one that um, I'll see sometimes is alterations in gait. So, you know, they're not able to, they have a change in the way they walk. You know, they have a limp or they drag their leg or something along those uh, lines that are a little bit um, different from how they were normally acting. And there's no injury around from that particular area from that. Is that something you see too, some changes in gait? Yes. Well, well, it, and a lot of times it's caused from pain, a lot of times mm-hmm. in their feet, mm-hmm. um, because those those white blood cells that have been pushed out or all those bad cells are in the bone marrow, and so they're crowding, and so it's pushing mm-hmm. on that marrow. And um, a lot of times we will we will see them, um, yes, limping and or having foot pain, even though they didn't do anything to it. So that is... Um, one of the symptoms in a lot of them. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we chalk up, um, you know, muscle and bone pain in kids as to growing pains, you know, but really pain that persists, that's changing the way they walk, changing their activity level. That's not typical growing pains associated with just, you know, your your bones getting bigger and your muscles getting getting stronger. Uh, those types of things do warrant an evaluation to make sure that there's not anything else going on from that perspective. You mentioned um, that Wilms tumor and those types of things are usually found by folks that are doing exams or mamas and daddies. Usually what I've heard is in the bathtub. You know, they're kind of giving them a bath and they're washing their tummy and they're like, hmm, what's that little what's that bump there? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and they those types of cancers are really hard to pick up on other than that. Um, particular finding because they're really asymptomatic uh, until there's a problem going on, until it's big enough that it's putting pressure on other things inside the body. So, you know, that brings me to um, the guilt that's often associated with um, a delayed cancer diagnosis in children. And I want to talk a little bit about that when we come back from the break. We're going to take that quick break. And if you guys want to join us, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. My guest is Dr. Amy Forsythe, who's a nurse practitioner specializing in pediatric cancer and blood disorders. And we would love to talk with you today. And you can give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. You can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Now, Amy, before we went on the break, we were talking about how um, it can be very, very hard to establish a diagnosis of uh, childhood cancer because the symptoms are so vague and are related to, can be chalked up to a lot of other things. And so that often leads to a lot of guilt from parents who feel like they missed uh, the signs of cancer going on with their little ones. What do we, how can we help these parents? Well, yeah, very, there are really very few um, cancers that a child, a a parent, or even a provider are going to catch quickly. Um, they're not caused by what they eat. Obviously, they're not smoking. You know, there's usually no known environmental cause of these cancers, and it's definitely not, you know, a parent's fault if they didn't automatically recognize that, you know, their child is not feeling well. You're you're with that child every single day, and it's just like minor minor things that happen you see them growing every day but you don't realize you know oh wow they they grew two millimeters today just right. like you, you know one cold is not going to set you off um yeah guilt is is one of those things that uh, you know i i do try to tell the parents that there's no this is not anyone's fault and um and a lot of times, you know, they get upset with maybe even their local pediatrician for not right. catching it. And obviously there are um, situations where things should have been caught, you know, earlier. But those are the rare cases. Mm-hmm. In, in most cases, you know, the the parents are doing everything that they're supposed to do. The providers are doing everything that they're supposed to do. And we're talking about these little cells that... Um, are just really gradually getting bigger and bigger and growing into a mass or expanding throughout the body. And so it, in most cases, you're not, if you have a fast growing tumor, then those are going to be the ones that, that you just recognize, you know, you're going to see their stomach is flat one day. And then, you know, the next week they've got this big, you know, lump. Those are going to be the ones that, yeah, they're, they're diagnosed quickly because they're fast growing tumors luckily most of them are not like that right yeah most Most of them is going to be very yeah very slow growing and very vague like we've talked about so let's talk about these uh, local pediatricians or primary care providers that are probably the first folks that are seeing uh, these kids you know for myself as a primary care provider I do a lot of wellness exams um, for children, especially kiddos between uh, birth and age four, because that's when the majority of childhood vaccinations are due. So kids come in to get those and get their wellness exam while they're getting those. Um, And even though wellness exams are recommended every year, you know, after that, sometimes um, 
it falls off a little bit because there's not shots that are bringing folks into the clinic to get them done. Um, but the wellness visit, it can be a very, very important way to kind of stay on top of things that could be these little vague signs that point to something else is going on. Um, what do you see the primary care provider's role in in kind of screening for cancers and type that type of thing? Um, well, it's what, what I, the only thing that I can say and, and you know, really emphasize is history and physical, history and physical, history and physical. Yeah, you can check a, a blood, you know, blood um, count, but it's highly unlikely you're going to catch up right. leukemia just by random blood count. And now a lot of the um, insurance aren't covering them anyway, right. so you can't do them uh, unless you're outwardly seeing signs. But it's really that whole picture like I was saying you know if if you're going to a bunch of different providers or you're going to the ER and there's urgent care care you know it's that it's that provider that needs to look at the whole picture and um because of they need to ask about those vague symptoms and a lot of them go for different different types of cancer so if you're ha- your child's having fatigue Weight loss is one that really should be looked at. Right. If they're not growing or if they're losing weight, that's concerning. Um, and that's because bad cells are increasing their metabolism. They're using all that nutrition for themselves. To feed the, so yeah, to feed the cancer. May, to feed the cancer. So even though you may not see that tumor, you may see this child that's losing weight mm-hmm. with no, you know, and then you may have to go get a, get a CT scan. And we've even had, you know, children that have, that the parents were thought that maybe the parents weren't feeding them as they were losing right. weight. And then when we scan them, we find out, no, if, if they had a cancer that nobody was able to feel. Mm-hmm. So history is extremely important. Um, if they're having night sweats, uh, different leukemias, lymphomas um, can cause night sweats. All kinds of cancers can cause weight loss. Um, obviously, recurrent fevers, which you're, you're talking about infections. Um so those type of things are, are really important, um, height and weight, right. growth that they're staying on um, target. And then the physical exam, is, that's going to be another one of those things where if they happen to be there at that time, then you're lucky to have caught it. But then there are some other like slow-growing tumors are ones that aren't considered malignant so that they're not going to metastasize but they're sitting there and they're growing and they they can be caught incidentally um Mm -hmm. like tumors in the ears right you know um and that said that the earlier you get them out there the then the less damage they're going to cause so i know that you know some providers get you know with certain visits they have tons of questions and they, they do definitely go over their development and everything and so it's very important not to get so caught up um, in all those all those little check boxes you have to check check, but right. to actually put your hands on the patient and to do a really good total physical exam. You know, just because they're not having pain in their ears doesn't mean that they don't have something growing there. Or if you don't, you know, test their hearing, you realize oh, in one ear they're not right. hearing as well. Right. You know. Um. So. And, and palpate their bellies, you know, don't just put your stethoscope on there. You know, you, really a good physical exam um, can go really far for those 
those slower benign type of, of tumors if you were wanting to catch them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, from my perspective, you know, I always try and tell parents why I'm doing the things I'm doing. You know, why I'm asking for um, your kid to be, you know, kind of take off their shoes for us to get their height and weight, all that, because I'm trying to get a consistent pattern for that and always, always plotting it on the growth chart. Because some kids are small and it's okay to be right. small. Um, but if they've been, you know, 50, 60, 70th percentile on their, um, you know, height and weight. And now suddenly we've fallen off of that and we're, you know, 30, 20% somewhere along in there. That prompts me to look a little bit farther in that, you know, um, what's going on that has their appetite changed, if they've been vomiting, that kind of stuff. And then from the physical exam perspective, just like you were saying, every kid should get their ears looked in regardless of whether they're complaining about their ears or not. Um, Another thing is looking in their eyes. So especially on our little babies, on our infants, when they come in, um, you may notice that we cut the lights off and shine a light in their eye. And the reason we're doing that is we're looking to see the reflection um, coming back at us, the, the way the light bounces off the back of the eye. Um, just like when you take a well, when we used to take pictures with um, regular cameras that would give us red eye and that type of stuff. That's what we're actually looking for is that red um, sensation, that red visual cue back at us. Um, because there is a cancer out there called retinoblastoma that will shine back at you kind of white, kind of like when you take a picture of an animal's eyes um, and it shines that, you know, that whitish, uh, yellowish color back at you. And that can be an abnormal sign of that. You know, several years back, um, There was actually a child who their parent had just taken their picture and then posted it on social media. And a nurse out there saw the picture and saw that white color and was able to, you know, speak with that family and let them know about um, the fact that that needed to be be looked at a little bit further. Um, So there are reasons that we're doing things. There are reasons why I ask you to put them in a gown. So because I'm going to look all over their skin to see if we've got any um, spots of anything anywhere, any of those little bruises you were talking about, any of those petechiae, which petechiae are like little tiny, tiny little pinheads red dots that are bleeding underneath the skin so just like you said a really good history and physical is so important and really establishing a medical home like you said you know not moving from provider to provider if you can help it really getting in with one um, one healthcare provider that can follow your child for years so that we can you know really get to know them and what their normals are from that and there are some um some situations like hereditary um, or even some that aren't hereditary uh, that can signs that can lead you to to check on something or screening so like if a patient has a lot of cafe or lay spots that they have you know a certain number of brown spots or, or the odd freckling on them that can possibly lead to a diagnosis of new neurofibromatosis and that can can um, make it more common for those people to have brain tumors. Um, So there are things that you're looking at that may not even be a cancer, but can be one of those diseases that can predispose. If you've got um, hemihypertrophy, so if you have one leg that's larger or longer than the other, then that um, can go along with Wilms tumor. And so in some cases, those children need screenings, uh, ultrasound screenings, just to make sure that that's not developing as well. So um, sometimes it's not a specific cancer or, or tumor you're looking for, but signs of something that can make them more prone in the future to develop tumors. 
All right. Those are some great tips. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to pick up and um, handle some of our emails that have come in um, from callers and listeners. And if you want to join in our conversation, now is the time. Don't wait until the last few minutes. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell here with my guest, Dr. Amy Forsyth, who's joining us by phone from Louisiana. And we're talking about childhood cancers and blood disorders today. And we have been talking about kind of signs and symptoms of that, best ways to go about um, seeing a healthcare provider to get that taken care of. And we've had some uh, emails that have come in, some folks who have called and not been able to to stay on the line with us. And so we want to get to those. And the first one we're going to um, get to is about skin cancer. And the question was, um, can skin cancer be hereditary? And what are the signs of skin cancer in children? Um, skin cancer in children is extremely, extremely rare. Uh, in all my time, I've probably seen one or two that has have actually had a skin cancer diagnosis. Um, it, it's not really hereditary at all. Now, you may have a, a, a mother or a father who's very pale and prone to, you know, damage from the sun, who, you know, that child may be as well from those type of characteristics but as far as you know um, um, dad having basal cell carcinoma definitely is not going to mean at all that that child is going to have it and and it's not going to be passed down through genes or anything Um, so it's very 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 rare usually when we see problems with the skin that that end up to be a cancerous source it's usually not skin cancer mm-hmm. it is um it, there's a certain type of lymphoma that you that's very rare also that you can see on the skin it's little bumps all over the skin or you may have um, a child who constantly has sort of like an eczema an eczema type um pattern where they're always peeling especially around their face and their ears are always draining and that can be a sign of um what's called Langerhans cell histiocytosis, which is very, very rare as well. But the type of skin cancers that we see in adults, um, you know, basal cell and melanoma, all those are very, very rare in children. You may get a teenager every once in a while that may have a melanoma, but um, 
like I said, maybe we've had one that I can think of mm-hmm. in my 18 years. So it is extremely rare, obviously, um, the signs and symptoms, if they would be just like uh, an adult. Would right. Be, a uh, mole that's changing. Mole that's bleeding. Right. right. That's irregular. That's, um, you know, the co- has different colors within it. Um, but luckily, you know, it's, you know, most are from damage from years of the sun. So I, I say, you know, slather them in sunscreen now because <laughs> it is now when, right. you know, they're growing and those skin cells are, are um, forming that you're putting them at risk for skin cancer later on. Um, and I remember being at a restaurant one time and the, grand, the little boy was real, real tan and the, and the grandmother was like, oh, um, no, you don't need to put some sunscreen on them. He needs to have a little tan or whatever. And oh. I was just like, Oh, no. no, please slather him down. Yeah, you know, I agree. It's it's about, you know, genetic predisposition, kind of what you were talking about. You know, some p- folks are more prone to burns and that, you know, skin sunburns and that kind of stuff. Um, but it really is the interplay with environment. You know, regardless of your genetic makeup, it's the amount of sun exposure um, that you're going to wind up getting. So, you know, I always say we have just a few short years with our kids before they grow up and no longer listen to us. So as long as I can catch them and hold them down, I'm going to slather them up with that kind of stuff. But, you know, any mole on yourself or your child that is changing, it's growing, getting bigger, the edges are getting um, more ruffly or irregular. It's not that pretty little round shape. It's bleeding. The colors are starting to change. All of that needs to be seen by a dermatologist to have that, you know, really looked at and evaluated. Um, Now, there's one other email that's come in that I want to get to because I feel like it's something that a lot of families are probably dealing with. Um, The the email states that we have a a child who has a diagnosis of leukemia, but she um, has some siblings. She's got an older brother and an older sister uh, and uh, actually a a younger brother as well. what um how do that how do you have that conversation with the siblings of of a child that has a diagnosis of cancer how do you talk to those kids about it because it's got to be scary for them it it is and um i will tell you that children are more keen than we give them credit for and uh, a lot of times i think and of course, those siblings may be too busy to see the changes, but usually that child knows that they're sick. And um, and it's really about being positive and hopeful. And um, when the whole family can come together and say, this is going to be hard, it's going to be a lot of work, it's going to change our lives, but you know, we're going to work all through, we're going to work through this together. You definitely want to have a a positive, hopeful vibe, but you need to be very um, upfront with the children that the siblings that this is, uh, you know, going to be a time where, you know, the one that's diagnosed is going to have a whole, whole lot of mom's attention or a whole, whole lot of daddy's attention. And because it, it is very stressful on the other children who they have their own guilt, survivor's guilt, if you will, mm-hmm. sort of that, you know, my, my sibling is sick and I'm healthy. But then at the same time, they're wanting attention and they're wanting to be loved. And, you know, they're, you know, they're wanting to make sure they get to all their, their baseball games. And, you know, that that can't always happen. And so I, if it were my children, I'm going to be as honest and upfront with them 
for the from the beginning because yes, it's scary, but it's even more scary when you're just knowing something's wrong, but you feel like you're not getting the whole story. Mm-hmm. So you know, wondering what's going on, how sick are they really? You know, and giving giving them that time if they are really sick and and to spend with you know one-on-one time with that sibling too right so you know you want it to be as normal as possible but it's very important I think from the get-go to to explain how things are going to be different and that they love each one of them the same and you know the heads up and the honesty throughout the process I think up front uh, seem to to make it easy on the siblings a lot of them will come to the you know, appointments with them. And, and so that takes some of the fear out too. And they can see, especially once, you know, the child is, you know, out of the hospital and, and it's been having some regular clinic visits for chemo, you know, a sibling comes with them and they can see what they go through. And that takes a lot of the fear out of it. Yeah. Well, you may I even think. give them a little job, you know, they can hold this for you while you're doing things. You know, I've, I always try to make uh, yeah. helpers out of, of siblings when they come to appointments with kids because it gives them a sense of, you know, that they're helping, helping you take care of their brother or sister. And, and um, they feel like they're contributing to the thing because sometimes they do kind of feel, you know, pushed to the side when it, they're not the center of attention anymore. So, you know, those are all really great things um, for listeners out there. You have any, we're out of time. I can't believe it. Do you have any of these, any parting words for those who may be struggling with a, a friend or a family member who's going through uh, a cancer diagnosis? Uh, well, it can be hard. You know, nobody can really know the right thing to say. So I think just um, having patience uh, with the families if they have appointments or, or things to do, and then just really offering true help and um, realizing it's a long process. So a year down the road when all the craziness has gone down, bring them a meal. Yeah. You know, do do things like that that are really going to take the mom out for coffee or watch the kids, you know, for hours so that the parents can have a date night. Um, just really those, you know, solid things that are going to give them a little break and a little you know normalcy yeah a little bit of normalcy well thank you amy for joining us all the way from louisiana and thanks for our emails that we had in for the show if you'd like to share you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org don't forget to tune in every weekday at 11 for the full southern remedy lineup and subscribe to our podcasts at mpbonline.org slash southern remedy i'm dr josie bidwell and you've been listening to southern remedy healthy and fit on mpb think radio